Well, hello, dear friends at Simpson Week and dear friends of Acadia Divinity College. I am so glad to be with you virtually today. Thank you for letting me into your homes or your car, wherever you are tuning in today. Well, doesn't it seem like weather and Simpson Week just go together like peanut butter and jam? I snuck into my office early this morning to record this on the front end of the storm, just in case I lose power a little later on. Well, I am so glad we're taking time this Simpson Week to focus in on mental health. We are embodied creatures, body, soul, mind, and spirit, and God cares about all of it. And we need to care for the whole person as we shepherd one another in Christ. So thanks for taking the time to spend in Simpson Week. And you know, it's awfully difficult when you're wrestling with your mind. I myself have been through some seasons of de depression and I remember well what it felt like when the dark thoughts take over your mind, when you can't concentrate long enough even to get through one page in a book. I remember waking up at 2 a.m. and not being able to get back to sleep but not be able to accomplish anything either. I remember well that feeling of being stuck of not being able to fix it, of not being able to move forward. One poet describes the battle in our minds this way. For the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters and the floods engulf me. I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. That's the psalmist in Psalm 69. If you've ever thought, I'm stuck, I'm stuck in my thoughts, I'm stuck in my mind, I'm stuck in my life, I'm stuck in these circumstances, well, today is for you. Today, we're looking at the story of Esther, but I'm renaming it the God of Grand Reversals. It's an amazing story that would make a great play. And as we enter the story today, God's people, Israel, have been divided into two nations, Israel and Judah. And many of God's people have returned after 70 years in exile, but not all of them returned. Some did not fancy going back to a worn, torn, divided nation, so they stayed. And our story today takes place with those Jews that stayed, the ones that did not return home after the exile, but stayed in the Persian Empire. Side note so you don't get confused, originally it was the Babylonian Empire. Remember, God's people got taken captivity into Babylon. Uh, Daniel was one of them who ended up in the lion's den. However, since that time, the Persians have taken over Babylon, and so today we're in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. So meet the main characters for today. We have King Xerxes, the most powerful man in the world at the time. He's the king of the Persian Empire. His wife, Queen Vashti, who gets herself in trouble by having a mind of her own and not coming when the king summons her in front of all his friends and powerful people, which makes the king very upset. So after consulting the law experts, he banishes Vashti from ever being in his presence and strips her of her royal position. 
so she doesn't last long as a character in our story. Then we have Hammond, who is the king's right-hand man and has a grudge against the Jews. Mordecai, who is the older cousin and guardian to our main character, Esther. And Esther, the character to focus on today. Mordecai, her cousin, has raised her since she was little because both her mother and her father have died. Well, let's dive in to this story. After banishing Vashti, King Xerxes holds a pageant to try to choose his new queen. Now, a little commentary here. Esther, along with about 400 young virgin women, get called to this pageant. And make no mistake about it, this is slavery. These women have no choice in the matter. They're taken away from their families. They're taken to the palace to be beautified, to sleep with the king, and then be added to his concubines. And only one will be chosen as his new queen. Well, Esther gets called to this beauty pageant, and Mordecai, remember her cousin, tells Esther not to reveal her Jewish identity. And lo and behold, everybody in the palace, including King Xerxes, loves Esther, and so she's made the new queen. And while the palace is partying it up, celebrating this new queen, Mordecai is sitting out by the king's gate. And he happens to overhear this conspiracy by two of the king's officials to assassinate the king. And Mordecai tells Esther, who tells the king, but gives all the credit to Mordecai. And these two would-be assassins are killed, and the king is saved. It's a pretty good day for the king, but Mordecai doesn't get so much as a pat on the back. Meanwhile, Haman, he raises in the ranks, rises in the ranks, and he thinks, I'm the man. And he even gets all the king's officials and all the people to kneel down to him whenever they see him coming by. But Mordecai refuses to kneel down to Haman because he's Jewish and he worships God alone. Haman hears the reason Mordecai refuses to honor him, and so he works with this, the king to make an edict that all the Jews in the empire will be executed. And after rolling a die to decide, he sets the date for about 11 months from the day. And bad news like that travels fast. Mordecai hears of the edict to exterminate all the Jews, and he urges Esther to do something about it with his famous line, and who knows, Esther, that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Remember that line for later. Now Esther is terrified because she knows you can't just show up to the king, or you could be killed. So you could only appear before the king if he summoned you. Well, you could chance it by just showing up and then on a whim, the king could lower his golden scepter and you would touch the tip of it. And instead of dying that day, you'd get to say your peace to the king, after which he could decide still to kill you or not. So Esther asked Mordecai to get everybody to fast and pray for three days. She's a wise woman. She knows she needs God's strength, God's intervention. And Esther says, with the people praying, she'll do it. I'll go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Now that's courage. Well, all of this is yet to unfold. And the king still knows nothing about Esther and Mordecai's Jewish heritage. The king has a night 
of insomnia when he orders the book of his record of his reign to be read to him. Doesn't that sound like good middle of the night reading? Read me the story of me. And so it's read to him and it reminds him that what Mordecai did to save his life. And he realizes nothing has been done to honor this Mordecai. Now, just at that moment, Hammond, the man, happens to walk in. So the king asks him, what should be done for the man that the king delights to honor? Hammond, of course, thinking the king wants to honor him, says this man should receive a royal robe and a crown and be led through the city on a royal horse so that everybody can cheer him on and thank him. Well, the king thinks this is a great idea. So much to Hammond's humiliation, the king gets Hammond himself to lead Mordecai through the city on the horse, proclaiming Mordecai's honor to everyone. Hammond is humiliated and steaming mad. He puts up a huge pole outside his house, planning to kill Mordecai on it. Well, back to our main character, Esther. She does appear before the king, and thankfully he lowers his scepter, and Esther reveals to the king that she's Jewish, and that Haman has arranged to have all her people destroyed, killed, annihilated. King Xerxes immediately has Haman killed on the very pole he had set up for Mordecai. And then on that day, nearly 11 months later, when all the Jewish people are supposed to be killed, all the enemies of the Jews get trampled on instead. By God's work through Esther and Mordecai, all the Jews in Persia are saved. And Jews still celebrate this today during the festival of Purnum that's coming up starting on February 25th. So do you notice why I renamed this story the God of Grand Reversals? Did you notice the great reversal in this story? Hammond thinks he's going to be exalted, his enemies crushed, and he'll be honored. And in a grand reversal, Mordecai, Esther, and the Jewish people are exalted, and Hammond and his buddies are crushed. It's one of those, I didn't see that coming, a twist ending. Have you ever had one of those happen in your life? Your underdog team wins the Super Bowl? You thought you did awful on that paper and you get it back and you got an A? You thought you were going to the doctor because the cancer was back and she gives you a clean bill of health? Oh, our God specializes in grand reversals. And here's the thing, in the middle of it, Mordecai and Esther, they didn't see the ending coming. It's very interesting that in the book of Esther, God is never even mentioned once. Not once! That's an amazing literary technique that begs the question, even if God is never mentioned, is God still at work? It's an invitation to read the story looking for God's activity, and the story is actually full of it coincidences and serendipitous moments revealing God's providence. Now providence means knowing God is at work and God is in control, even behind the scenes, even when we can't see it, God is working all things together for the good of those that love him, together for the good of his kingdom. 
and in the story of Esther, God is at work in the circumstances all over this story. And the author of Esther is teaching us even when God seems distant or unconcerned or even absent, God is still at work. God is for you. You are his child. God knows you by name. And isn't that good news for our world today? It might feel like right now in our world or your world personally, in your stuckness, in your relationships, in your studies, in your kids' school, in your church, you're wondering, how are you working, God? Where are you, God? And Esther reminds us God is always at work, in the details even, in the circumstances, in the bigger upper story. We know God is working for redemption, working to save people. Now notice, the book of Esther is not a moral example. It plays like a bad soap opera with lots of parties and drinking and sex and questionable attitudes about men and women. The characters are not set up as an example for us to follow. What we're to notice is God's activity. Their lives and our lives might seem like a bad soap opera right now, far from what God would want for us right now. Yet the book of Esther shows us God is not done with people. Even if you're in a real mess, even in a moral mess, God does and still does work. That doesn't stop God from working because God is the hero of the story. God is always at work and God still accomplishes his purposes. Trust God's providence. No matter how messed up things have gotten, God is still redeeming this world. And isn't that good news for us? Doesn't the world seem a little messed up right now? Virus wrecking havoc all over the world, political divisiveness, racial injustice, stress and anxiety through the roof, trying to figure out your own schedule and the schedule in your home. And in the middle of it all, God is still at work. Say it with me, put it in the chat. God is still at work. Do you need a grand reversal in any area of your life? Maybe in a relationship or a leadership challenge or your church or your health or your habits or your grades or your attitude or your relationship with God, or your anxiety, your stress level, your sleep, your exercise? Do you need a grand reversal in any area of your life? You know, we're all human. We all do. Name it, bring it to God. When you recognize an area you need to change something or fix something or speak up about something, do what Esther did. Get other people praying with you so you can speak up and make changes with God's confidence and God's boldness. You know, when I'm stuck in a stressful situation, a situation where I'm longing for a grand reversal, you know the raw truth of what I wish for? Oh God, just somehow pluck me out of this situation and transport me instantly to a new reality. Have you ever wished that too? God, just pluck me out and teletransport me, Lord. 
but that only happens in Star Trek. The testimony of Esther, the testimony of the saints through the ages, is that God rarely plucks us right out of things. Instead, it's right within the crazy circumstance of our lives that God is with us and God is at work in those circumstances to bring his grand reversal. And Esther had to be faithful to do her part, to speak up in the circumstances, and God is the hero that caused the grand reversal. When I'm stuck, I've got to be faithful to do my part too, to speak up and tell a friend I'm not okay to talk to my doctor and counselors, to get to sleep on time, to get more exercise, to work on that paper, to sit in the presence of the Lord, to speak up for the things that I see are unjust and unfair happening right in our own church, right in our own community. And when we're faithful day by day in every little circumstances, God causes the grand reversal. I'm faithful and you're faithful to the opportunities that God puts right in front of us and the one next one and the next one and the next one. And just as it was for Esther, we might not see it yet, but we can know God is working everything together for the good of his kingdom. So do you need a grand reversal in any area of your life? Do you know someone that needs a grand reversal? Can you think of anywhere in our world today that needs a grand reversal? Politics or the environment or health? Well, Jesus specializes in grand reversals. Just as Paul, who used to persecute and kill and murder Christians and then started preaching about Jesus everywhere. Just as the woman who went from being a prostitute to anointing Jesus' feet with oil and perfume. Just ask Lazarus who went from being very dead to very alive. You know when Jesus walked this earth he reversed sickness and blindness and fear and anxiety and evil and death. And in Jesus' greatest grand reversal the Romans and evil and Satan all thought they won when they nailed Jesus to that cross. And three days later, they got the shock of their life in the greatest reversal of all times, where Jesus beat death and sin and Satan forever. And the grandest of great grand reversals is actually still yet to come, when Jesus returns to this earth and redeems all of creation, making all things new without any brokenness, out any evil, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears. Our God is the God of grand reversals, and God is this God for you. So what's this mean for you and for me? Well, in the upper story, God is orchestrating grand reversals. And in our lower story, right here and right now, God is inviting you to be a part of those reversals. Because God is at work in our circumstances. Mordecai says to Esther, you are here for such a time as this. And Esther rose up with the confidence that comes from knowing God's people are praying. And she spoke up with boldness. Did you happen to hear Amanda Gorman, the 22-year-old poet who wrote and recited her poem at the recent inauguration of a new American president? 
Amanda, Amanda seized her moment and seized her courage and spoke up what we needed to hear, not what we wanted to hear, but what we needed to hear. And one beautiful line in her poem says, there is always light if only we're brave enough to see it, if only we're brave enough to be it. Well, Esther teaches us to be brave enough to see the light even when God seems absent. Esther teaches us to be brave enough to be the light even when it's dark. Esther stood up to the challenge for such a time as this to use her voice as a light to save others. While there is a lot of the characters in the story of Esther that we shouldn't emulate, the bravery and the courage of Esther is something we should. Oh God, give us the courage of Esther. So what about you? What about your voice? Will you speak up? You live in this time, this place, in your neighborhood, during COVID, for such a time as this. Acts 17, 26 says, God marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their land. In other words, God planned that you'd live at this point in history. You'd be in this nation, this land, your neighborhood, for such a time as this. It's no accident you are where you are in 2021. You are in your home, your apartment, your neighborhood, your school, your workplace, ADC, your church. Even if it's a season of being laid off, you are there for such a time as this. And God is still at work. And God wants to use you right where you are. So why are you there? Why are you there? Have you asked God that question? To pause and listen, say to the Lord, why am I in this place? And what do you need to speak up about? Will you take courage and speak up for what God cares about? You know, some things God makes really clear we're to care about as his followers. We're supposed to speak up about matters of injustice. Here's just one example from scripture where we're told, defend the weak and the fatherless. Defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. In Psalm 82. Like Esther, you are here for such a time as this to amplify the voice of the weak, the orphan, the poor, the oppressed, the homeless, the forgotten, the abused, the bullied, the mistreated, the ill, those caught in the darkness of depression. In your neighborhood, in your workplace, your school, your city, your world, you know, it's those that society has often viewed as being lower that are actually leading the way getting us through this pandemic. Truck drivers and custodians and grocery store workers and cab drivers. Speak up with them, encourage them, celebrate them. And think too of others that have often been forgotten during our battle with COVID seniors and those with limited technology or technolo technological ability, those that live alone, the lonely, those battling addictions, those that have faced abuse in their own homes, those that battle with mental health, speak up with them, encourage them, see them. 
you can't speak up about everything, but you can speak up about something. And you are where you are precisely because God placed you to speak up for what breaks God's heart. To speak up about injustice. To speak up about love. To speak up about God and lead someone else closer to the kingdom. My dear friend, Dinesh, that led me to faith in Christ, told me after I had come to faith that one night, now this will date me, she was on the payphone in our university residence talking to her mom at home. And Dinesh uh, came from a family that didn't have much money. There was eight kids and a single mom. And they were discussing whether they could afford to keep Dinesh at university. And Dinesh said to her mom, Mom, I think God really wants me here. And her mom said, Oh, right, I know, school's important, dear. And Dinesh said, No, I think God has me here to lead Renee to Jesus. She knew that was part of the reason that God had her there. And I am so glad that she stayed and she knew that. You are where you are for such a time as this. Take courage because God is already at work there. Join God in changing the world, which usually means starting right where you are, in your own marriage, your own family, your own campus, your own workplace, your own city, to bring restoration where things have become broken, to lead people closer to Jesus. You are there for such a time as this. So here's the two things to take with us from Esther today. Don't lose hope in your life and in our world because God specializes in grand reversals. And you are here for such a time as this. So seize your moment, rise up and speak up. What's your moment? Because you, my friends, are here for such a time with, as this. So go with Christ's boldness.